0: this podcast is intended for an adult audience take care if there might be young people listening welcome to doing it this is a podcast to help parents carers and anyone working with young people understand relationships and sexuality education my name is anne and i work with the sexual health victoria schools and community team we deliver classes to school-aged children so they can better understand their own bodies growing up respect consent, reproduction, sex, sexual health and relationships. This is episode three of a seven-part series produced with the support of the eSafety Commissioner. Go back a couple of episodes if you missed them. In the eSafety Best Practice Framework for Online Safety Education, there is reference to children's rights online. They say that young people have the right to provision, participation and protection in the digital world. In this series, I'm focusing on protection. We understand that comprehensive relationships and sexuality education can be a protective factor for young people on or offline. In this episode, I would like to talk about the word inappropriate. This is the euphemism that adults often use when they mean sexual... Nude, pornographic, violent, drugs, alcohol, addictive, costly, confusing, sweary, private, and any number of things. Young people use the word inappropriate too, because they understand from the avoidance of these specific words that they're not allowed to use them. This makes it harder to report a problem if the only word they have to describe the problem is inappropriate. In a recent grade 6 class, I asked what they thought their adults were worried about when they were online. The answer was, they're worried we will see something inappropriate. They struggled to find any other words when I asked them what sort of things are inappropriate. In this episode, I will explore why this word is so popular and try to make an argument for ditching it. Part of a discussion of choosing suitable online content for any particular age group is using classification systems to assess risk. Here is Alex from eSafety to explain how these categories help. Alex, thank you so much for speaking to me about classifications. The classification system is a guide for the type of content included in a game or a film or a publication. So what sort of things are we trying to protect young people from viewing?
1: Yeah, so the classification ratings are designed to help ensure people are viewing content that they are mature enough to to be able to respond to and to process. There is a lot of information that that comes across in in media, and so it's to give guides about the the level of seriousness and explicitness that people can expect to see within, within material. Uh, So the classification guidelines are, there's three guidelines. There's a a guideline for film and television programs. There's a guideline for computer games, and there's a guideline for publications. Uh, In each of them, they set out the the levels of material that is allowed at each classification. There's also a big subset of material that that the classification guidelines say is inappropriate for anybody to, to be able to view, and that includes the most serious types of content, like Uh, pro-terrorist material, material that promotes and incites and instructs in matters of crime and um, offensive depictions of people under the age of 18, so uh, child sexual exploitation material. You know, the classification guidelines try to uh, give an indication of how much sex or violence or language or, or themes might be in the the media that, that is being consumed the higher the rating the, the higher the impact of the the element
0: and it does take into consideration the impact doesn't it so um, exactly. what the content is and the context and the impact that might have on the viewer
1: yeah and I think context is is exactly the right word because there is you know some context like an educational program where it might be appropriate to have levels of nudity or sex where you know talking about pregnancy or or whatever the case may be, but where it's taken out of that context and it presented in a different form, then the impact is much higher. And that's what the, the guidelines are trying to, to, to provide.
0: Early on, you use the phrase offensive content yeah, in context. And sometimes I've seen that people would use the word offensive or inappropriate content when they're actually talking about illegal content which is child sexual abuse material. So how, how do you think we can address that in the the materials that we provide or the way that we talk to young people? Or do you think it makes a difference?
1: I mean, I think it does make a difference. That's a really hard question. And it's one of the things that we try to move away from using the term offensive, actually. So um, we've rebranded the way that we talk about content now as a legal and restricted online online content, rather than illegal and offensive. I guess offensive is um, subjective, isn't it? And so you know, and and covers a vast range of of material that is available now. Whereas, if we limit, I, I guess if we're trying to limit the material that we look at and and what we talk about, we're talking about you know really high end, really impactful material that really nobody needs to see. Uh, yeah. Is you know, and so. And I think also I mean I, I think at the end of the day a mature discussion about anything is better than, than trying to put a term over the top of it. So, you know, if you can have, you know, have those conversations up front with, with kids about the, the material that is available and 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 what its what its purpose is, I think and the impact
0: the impact, and the impact in the context
1: that, that it might have and, and how you might deal with the impact. Um, you know, I I, I know. I don't have kids, but having spoken to friends who whose kids have been exposed to to porn at an age where they, as parents, weren't ready for it, and the kids weren't ready for it as well, it's you know how do you then talk about what they've seen and and, and how and, and what it represents and 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 what real life is.
0: Yeah, tricky conversations for everyone. And when it comes to things like nudity, I know social media say there's body parts you can't, in particular,ly show. Do the guidelines specify body parts you're not meant to show, or is it more about the context?
1: It's more about the context. So um, the, the the guidelines talk about the impact of the nudity and and the type of nudity. So um, so so n- nudity might be allowed in a, a context where. Where it is appropriate and it adds to the to to whatever information is being provided, but it's very much context rather than specifics.
0: Is all online content rated?
1: No, no, it's not. There are there is commercial content that is sold through online stores, uh, like a computer game that that would have a classification. Movies that are sold in online stores would have the same classification that they would have if you were going to the cinema or a DVD store. Not that they exist as much anymore. Good luck um, finding one. <laughs> okay, good luck finding one. Um, but, uh, and there is other content that, that might be restricted due to, to the type of material that it is. For example, if you went onto the, the website of a, a provider of alcohol, you might be asked to provide uh, information about your age to, to allow you to um, to access that material. But the vast majority of websites Aren't rated, um, but websites might have like an acceptable use policy that that restricts the type of content that can be that, that can be made available on the website and also how that material is presented. So some of the social media sites where they provide explicit material might require that that is behind an age gate, and so in order to be able to access it, you have to provide your age.
0: But not proof of age, just. By saying, "Hey, I'm above age."
1: Uh, it depends on the site, but but uh, you know there is a whole program at the moment looking into age verification online to look at what what are the appropriate methods and what what might be the me- best methods to do that. But at the moment, you know, it ranges from uh, a declaration that yes, I am over the age of 18, or in some cases, you know, when you sign up, you need to sign up with uh, information that that shows that you are 18.
0: Just a bit of a a side question. I've just sort of realised recently that classifications can be different between countries. So if if you're viewing Netflix content, America classifies nudity differently to Australia. Is that correct? That's
1: right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I mean, there are some uh, examples of international efforts to try and standardise classification. Uh, for example, the computer game industry have uh, their own online classification tool where the developer of a game can put the components of the game into um, into a system and it spits out the relevant classification for multiple jurisdictions. So, you know, if they were going to sell it in Australia, here's the classification for what it would be in Australia as opposed to the UK or the United States.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. So if parents and carers are sort of Using this as one of the tools to gauge which content they think is suitable for their young people. They're sort of dealing across jurisdictions as well. So, how would a young person gain access to content which is supposed to be restricted to over 18?
1: So, unfortunately, that material is really easily available because so much of the material online is not classified. And so, there aren't effective systems necessarily in place to stop people from being able to, you know, go into a search engine and type whatever they're looking for and, and the search results coming up. So there are tools that that people can consider using on their search. So you, you can put a safe search functionality in place that restricts the, the sort of content that you can look at. Um, You can customize that so that, you know, certain material is able to to be found and other material is restricted and and other material can be accessed once a parent has said, sure, go ahead and have a look at it. And then there's also, you know, filtering products that, that you could consider over the top that also limit the sort of availability of material that is inappropriate for kids.
0: Um, And absolutely, would recommend that adults work to the best of their technical ability to filter. A lot of adults feel like their children have better technical ability than them. (laughs) Uh, So that becomes tricky as well. Um, What else could a young person do for their own sort of risk assessment to decide if content was right for them?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I guess the first point of call would be to have discussions where you come across material that that is inappropriate. You know, there's always, I guess, going to be um, material that pops up and takes you by surprise on social media because there's so much content. So one way might be to, you know, not engage with the content where you see it. If it comes up, close it down um, and go and have a conversation with someone um, about the material if you can. Um, you can always report that material to us as well if you come across, you know, material that you think is, we we refer to it as illegal and restricted online content. So we look at the really high-end material. You can report that material to us and and we can look to take certain action under our legislation for, you know, some of the content that is provided from Australia, we can direct a service provider to, to put it behind that kind of restricted access system so that in order to gain access to it, you have to demonstrate that you that you're mature enough to to access the content. And then I think it's just being aware that the content's out there. You know, there's a whole lot of material out there that that is really empowering and and really uh, great content to engage with. But there's also a whole lot of content out there that that provides. Uh, you know, not great uh, stereotypes around sexual health and around sexual behavior. So it's knowing that that material is out there and thinking about whether it's stuff that you actually want to engage with.
0: Oh, that's a perfect advertisement for, um, for what we do and what we advocate for, which is having lots of conversations about sex and sexuality with young people. Great. Awesome, Alex. Thank you so much.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me.
0: Alex mentioned the idea that part of protection might be letting children know that there is content out there which isn't for them. This might seem counterintuitive when parents and carers are told so much that they should protect by blocking and shielding young people from the content. Classifications have specific language about depictions of sex, violence and drug use and the impact it might have on the consumer. But these ratings are not present on everything online. It's really useful for young people to be taught other ways of gauging what sort of content they're consuming and being able to recognise the impact it might be having. We're often confronted with the idea that relationships and sexuality education might be inappropriate for faith-based schools or families who ascribe to a faith. Fida Sanjakta is a researcher and educator who frequently challenges the idea that faith and comprehensive sexuality education are mutually exclusive. So Fida, talking about this idea of the word inappropriate, what do you think about the idea that relationships and sexuality education is inappropriate for faith-based schools? And that is something we hear a little bit from schools
2: and teachers and parents and carers. When I first read the question, I thought that was a little surprising because the word itself, yes, I've heard it, but it's not necessarily coined or associated with RSC being inappropriate. So I think you'll find that teachers or different stakeholders affiliated with faith-based schools Will argue that RSE as a subject of study is inappropriate. I think educators might think that there are just some aspects of the way it's taught or the way certain information is shared with the students that becomes inappropriate. The subject itself, I don't think, is inappropriate more.
0: If you're sort of breaking RSE into separate topics, the topic of sexual behaviour online is that, would that have inappropriate contexts or be a difficult thing to talk about in faith-based schools, do you think? I think one,
2: they'll recognise it to be appropriate, for lack of a better word, because they will assign the appropriateness of that subject, the fact that young Muslims um, are consumers of wider Australian uh, population. They are a product of... Society, they will be susceptible to the same influences as any other person. Only question of inappropriateness that may come in will be: like, What are you going to be saying? How is that going to be delivered to the students? Who may be delivering it? What kind of examples are you going to be using? So, so language is very important. Communications are critical, important in our in our effort to respect all of those things that are essential to ROC. And that's why, um, again, how they reach that conclusion of what is appropriate or inappropriate will just come down to those factors mm. rather than just a blanket, broad brush statement that's such a topic. Mm. But all of the topics, you know, all of the topics that are re- regarded as progressive or a little bit more sensitive, although the entire curriculum really is, like pornography, uh, consent education, issues concerning the LGBTQI community, all of those things are regarded as appropriate, yeah. especially in, in, the, in, the, in an Islamic school amongst Muslim communities simply because these are issues that Islam raises and these are issues that they identify young Muslims are, know of and are living with. So they won't negate the importance of that. They will just make more careful decisions about on how to deliver that information. The context of delivery.
0: I know teachers do some sometimes substitute in when they're talking about sex or sexual behaviour, the word inappropriate when they're delivering this information. Mm. So, uh, for example, if uh, a teacher's talking about sexting or sending nudes, they might use the words "this person sent an inappropriate image." So what words could we use if we talk to young people about sex and sexuality and the potential for sexual content online, rather than use the word inappropriate, if we are being really careful about context and delivery?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And, I'll, and I think you'll find, and is it okay if I just talk more more specifically about what you might find amongst the Muslim community? Is that that okay to do that? I don't think you can rule out the word appropriate and inappropriate. I think that'll just roll off the tongue quite easily. But I think you'll find many teachers in uh, in this space, when they're communicating this with their Muslim students, will probably use other words like suitable or Islamically acceptable or upholding Islamic morals and values. So uh, I think they will always carefully align that and marry that with what is Islamically suitable or acceptable. So they will use them freely. This is, this is a reflection of Islamic value or this is how you can engage in Islamic morals. For me personally, I, I don't think we should worry so much about the semantics, you know, whether we use the word appropriate or inappropriate. I think that's um, a flawed idea because we're still kind of teaching this subject with a universal tone and a brush I think we need to concentrate more on that there are different ways of transferring this information that and there are different ways of being culturally responsive and that we don't necessarily need to generate a consensus so for example in an Islamic school or you know, if it's done in line with Islamic teaching a particular topic will be presented to the students as Islamic acceptable or in Islamic morals but nowhere in there does it mean that they have to do it this is just the frame of reference so again students autonomy is still is still theirs that is not taken away and I think that's probably a probably better language than appropriate or inappropriate because it's almost like you're, it's definitive but if you say that this is something in line with a moral or in line with a character you should aspire to or in line with community acceptable behaviour, then you're giving them a positive spin on what what it can be and then you're still giving them the autonomy to do it or not. And I think that's probably a better way and probably why such words such as appropriate and inappropriate can attract so much negativity because it's almost like saying this is right and this is wrong.
0: What did you say? Culturally acceptable. And it is about context. In this context... We can teach what is culturally acceptable in this context and we can teach in this context and then you decide that
2: you you decide yeah because i think that's one thing most people don't understand about islam is that there is something called free will there is something called autonomy it's just Mm. take it's a different way of looking at it from a white western lens Mm. so you know that doesn't mean that you can't instruct students on this is this is the profit we need to be able to emulate, you know, in our day-to-day practices. But nowhere in there does it say, I have to. Uh, and then and open it up for questions if you ask students, if this is acceptable in Australian society, why is this acceptable or unacceptable? And, and then just open it up for discussion, mm. but don't take away that, mm. that that ability of the students to actually come to their own conclusion. So teaching RSCs, is, is, it's not a precise process. And sometimes we get locked into that kind of a process for, with, with a desire to be exact. And, and I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think the idea is that it's okay to say this is a, the, we're going to discuss a topic that there are many viewpoints about about mm. it. Mm. We're only going to, and um, we may open up and encourage other people in the class to share their viewpoints. And so they get, they understand that it's a controversial topic, there's or sensitive issue, there's a wide viewpoints about it and that's it yeah I agree
0: and being exacting does apply values that yeah good and bad and this is how you do it and this is how you don't do it some cultures
2: there is no adolescent stage you go straight from childhood to adulthood Hmm. so I mean this idea that you have to be so precise or exact or or give one example is still quite dominant if we start to understand that language is a way to open up a more interesting dialogue and understanding of the topic by using words that aren't so value laden but more maybe suggestive or inviting and still allow students to have involvement in the process Mm. then that's probably one way so I think language is critical awesome thanks so much for your time Fida. thank you and all the best
0: Sex and sexuality does not always fall under the category of inappropriate. It's my feeling that we can do better in protecting young people from content which isn't right for their age or stage by being more specific about what they might encounter and give them the language to be able to talk about it. Child sexual abuse material isn't inappropriate, it's illegal. An adult asking a child for sexual pictures isn't inappropriate. It's illegal. A parent or carer wanting to arm their child with credible information about sex and sexuality isn't inappropriate, it's necessary. Thank you so much to my guests Alex and Fida. You can see more information about Fida Sanjakta. Um, I'll also put a note about the Australian classification system and a link in the show notes as well. For more information on Sexual Health Victoria, go to shvic.org.au. For research, information and resources on e-safety, go to esafety.gov.au. You can contact me directly at doingit at shvic.org.au. Follow Sexual Health Victoria on social media. Like the podcast if you like it. Subscribe so you don't miss out on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening.